Hey everyone, Paul Rabel here with this next episode of Suiting Up. I'm especially excited to talk with this athlete. She's won everything in tennis, and many of us have seen her do it on national TV. She's also a best-selling author on the transferable skills from playing to managing in the workplace. Makes her a perfect candidate for this show. She spends half her day on the court and the other half in the office. And she's a vegan, or she calls it a chigan. Venus Williams is up next at our studios here in New York City. Hope you guys enjoy. So as we put our headsets on here in studio, we're in New York City, and I am with seven-time Grand Slam champion, 14-time doubles Grand Slam champion. I'm going to get all this right. Um, Five-time Olympic medalist, four-time gold. What interests me and what I love about this is, is uh, CEO of two companies, V-Star Interior and uh, 11 by Venus Williams, best-selling author, uh, female activist, activist, I should say. And, uh, and so there's so much to go through. But what I want to start with, because this is kind of the way I think, and this is the way the show will go, I think, is, uh, is a question which is more on the plain surface, which is what is it like to regularly sit behind and return a 120 mile an hour serve? <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. Uh, it's great to be in your presence. You're a well, thank you. legend. Thank you. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Honestly, there's, there's not a lot of reaction time. I don't think you always get all of those serves back, but uh, sometimes when you do return and you're like, oh, okay, that was 120. Yeah. And you know, you're, you're a, uh, Opponent feels demoralized, hopefully. Well, you you hit it. I mean, you've hit a 129-mile-an-hour serve. Yeah. So, I mean, sitting behind those, the reason why I ask is that there's so much that you do. And, you know, being in a sport myself where there's a 100-mile-an-hour shot, it's yeah. so intense to sit behind something like that. There's such an adrenaline rush. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of just, like, always having to be on your toes. And I think in uh, with, with what you do professionally – on the court and in the boardroom. It's, I, I gotta imagine like being on your toes, always moving from, from place to place, taking meetings, and then carving out time to just think and be a CEO is, uh, is probably like part of a, a regular deal for you. Yeah, definitely uh, get used to a fast pace. And yeah. the thing about sports is that I think you start at such a young age that everything becomes so automatic mm. uh, and you expect so much from yourself, like you expect a miracle on every every point or every play, like you expect perfection. And so you take all of that out with you wherever else you go. Mm. But there's a, a little bit of a difference as well is that, you know, you haven't been a CEO since you were four years old. Right. I started playing at four and so I've been... You know, I know it in, in and out. You play tennis without thinking. So um, it's definitely been uh, a curve, but a welcome curve because it's it's awesome to throw yourself into something and and to be a little bit uncomfortable at times. Yeah, I, it's, it's a really good point. I, I would say for me in business, what I've learned the most is is empathy and how to showcase that characteristic around your team. Mm -hmm. And you talk a lot about team, and it, it really stands out to me because tennis is widely regarded as an individual sport, but you and I both know that it's, it's, uh, it's very much a team effort from everyone behind the scenes to your coaches that are watching you on the court. Um, 
and and I think what we often get asked is what you learn from sports that crosses over into the boardroom. Right. Has what you learned as a CEO and working with people and embracing that imperfection helped you as you currently still play on the circuit? <laughs> I think uh, what I appreciated the most is just uh, being at the top of my game because when you start something else, you aren't necessarily at the top. You have to work your way there. Mm -hmm. So I think it helped me appreciate just being really good at what I did at something else. So that that was interesting. And I don't know, I, I'm learning empathy in regular life. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, <laughs> I'm yeah. learning it in regular life. So I'm, you know, so black and white. Uh, I've been in the past, but in, in business, I think it's definitely one of the most important things with a team is to be honest with them. But in being honest, it doesn't mean you have to be a douche. Right. So <laughs> isn't that interesting though? I mean, I think you're right. Like, isn't in sports, we're almost taught the opposite of empathy and, and like having to be perfect and outwork your competition. And if you lose, it's like, you don't give, give credit to the, to the opponent. You're like, ah, well, they, they did well, but they caught me on an off day. Mm -hmm. And it can be difficult to, to grow as a person to like fully self-actualize. Um, I, I've, I've read that, that, that your, your mother really helped in, in that part of, of your growing is like being secure in who you and your sister were as your dad pushed the work ethic and the entrepreneurial spirit that you have. Um, is, is that something that, that you really harness now on court? Is that like looking back now as a veteran and what you're great at still in the world rankings is like, Hey, I am okay with, um, with knowing that I'm giving my best, but that I can appreciate being here. Are you more present in the moment, I should say? Uh, or are you still like, <laughs> are you still like Venus on the court and then Venus in the boardroom, like two different people? I think in a lot of ways it's two different people. Hmm. Uh, but of course, everything you've learned on the court, you try to apply it if you can. I don't think I necessarily consciously go into, um, you know, the office and, and, and apply everything I've learned on the court consciously, but I think in an unconscious way you do it. But I think mm -hmm. one of the things that I definitely do apply is positivity because mm -hmm. that's been crucial for me in my career is being positive and having a team around me that's positive and all of us feeding off that. So that's all I know and that's what I bring. And I think that's that's huge because I think in the office, in the boardroom or where whatever you want to call it, there's there can be a lot of negativity in, yeah. in terms of how people operate, uh, not enough empowerment, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So it's important to to empower and create a positive environment. Yeah. As far as your time goes, it's it's it feels like there's a lot that you do. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you feel that way sometimes, but but my, my guess is that going through this process and listening to you speak and reading your book and stuff like that is that it's uh, you have so many passions. Like one of your quotes is, "There isn't enough time in life to pursue what I love." And so, like, how are you? How are you in 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 an ideal day spending it? Right? Because I think in a regular day, you never have a regular day. Never. Right? So so let's ask, <laughs> let me have a, ask a better question. In your what does the best day for Venus look like? The best day <laughs> this is all theoretical. I don't know if it necessarily happens that you can get all your work done and sleep in. So <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> got to get out of bed. But uh, I would love, obviously, 
tennis is still first, so I still have to wake up and, and put a number of hours in on the court and in the gym. Mm. So to be able to have a perfect day on the court and the gym and just completely kill it out there, that would be ideal. And then obviously spend time with my team. I, I like to spend a lot of time with my family, so I spend time with my dad and and friends. So that a lot of times you have to find time for that too because yeah. that balances you and makes you a whole person. Yeah. Is that is that part of uh, your your daily rituals is like trying to find that social fulfillment, that human connection? Uh, yeah, because you don't want to leave your whole life behind. Right. It's important to have a life. And I think in my circumstance, when you travel and then a lot of times your friends become the people that are on your team, you can get so uh, insulated that you can let go of other things. And I, some people could be the opposite. They, it just depends on your personality. Right. So, yeah. And, and you, and you talked about sleep is, is, uh, is sleeping really important to you? As an and, athlete. Yeah. You need like to it has sleep. To be, right. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you can't sleep, then you're not going to perform. Like, how, how many hours are you sleeping a night or trying to? At least? Uh, like, ideally good? like eight. Yeah. Yeah. From what I've gleaned in sports is that there are, are, I, I don't think there's another sport, honestly, that that understands health, fitness, nutrition, and performance better than tennis stars. You think so? The reason why I think that is like the team that you guys associate yourselves with and the way that at least you can articulate your thoughtfulness around nutrition. And I want to like understand a little bit more about your autoimmune disease and stuff like that and how that's affected you. But I mean, let's like, take a look at your longevity and like a Roger Federer's longevity and like you don't see that in other sports. And this is a sport that's very physically rigorous, right? And so, I don't know, I, 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 I didn't grow up playing tennis, my dad did. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I, but I've watched like the Bjorn Borg docs where like they went the super robotic angle with him. And so I just think even back then to now, there's so much thought around like self-preservation and you know, performance yeah. development. Yeah, there is. And I, I think this generation of players, myself and Serena and the Federers and the like, are understanding that you can play longer. Mm -hmm. So it's about planning a schedule. And with tennis also, I think you have that opportunity because you can plan a schedule that's less vigorous. Like if you're playing a team sport, then guess what? You've got to play those 70, 80 odd games. Hmm. But also at the same time, there's no one to share the load either. Like yeah. you're playing that whole match for those, you know, two hours, three hours or however long it takes. So uh, it's, it's, uh, I find it interesting to, to speak to other athletes and how they deal with their sport and, and, you know, even things from deal with burnout in the season because you, as you try to be grateful, but it's still a tough job. You know, you're lucky that you don't have to go into an office nine to five, but also it's such a life commitment that you give up having a life in a lot of ways. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, you know, it's, a, there's always a catch, I guess. Yeah. And you're effectively... You, you're you're working through a day that's that's managing three lives. Like most people have two lives where they're working on their nine to five job, as you mentioned, and then like your social life mm -hmm. and your personal life at home. And you have your as an athlete has their training and then right. their social life, and then you also have like your condensed nine to five. But your output is so so great that you know not necessarily. My guess is you're not thinking as much about hours into yeah. the office, but your but your team probably feels the output. Um, in spades from you. So it's really interesting to hear eight hours of sleep is really important. What other type of like hacks do you have? Do you meditate? 
Um, are you eating like five meals a day? <laughs> you know, like where are you getting your sources of energy? Yeah, meditating. I have a hard time sitting still to me. I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about meditating. I'm yeah. like, that seems like torture to sit still <laughs> and like be still. I'm like, why, God, why? So right. I haven't... I. I can see the merits, but I haven't been able to mm. acclimate to the meditation yet. I have to grow, yeah. have to grow as a person. Um, um, eating is, I eat to live. I don't live to eat. So for me, like at tournaments, you're eating so much to fuel your body. And you're like eating and eating and eating. And when the tournament's over, I'm like, thank God, I can take a break huh. from eating. So yeah. honestly, when I'm at home, a lot of the times I'm actually taking a break from the eating because it's a lot. Yeah. And, and you found out fairly later in your career about this autoimmune disease. Is, is it Shurgin's? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have since transitioned. I, I know you, you, you call your diet Chigan. Yeah. But you're basically like vegan and, and, uh, and there's some meats. It's primarily plant-based. So for me, that is less sophisticated in nutrition. I, I kind of just like stay away from packaged goods and have that visual conscience of like, if I can identify the source of this, it's okay to eat. Mm-hmm. An example of something that's, that I can't identify is like a chip, you know, <laughs> right? So I stay away from that, like candy. Um, but uh, what is your, how are you able to stay fueled for performance under this pretty strict diet? Yeah, you have to work a little harder and sometimes there's less options. So you have to really be prepared if you're going to China, then perhaps you're bringing something with you, you know, traveling with protein powders and things like that. Yeah. And then sometimes you have to just get to the bare minimums. It's like eat some rice, eat a potato, eat yeah. some broccoli. It's not always fancy uh, right. when you're, especially when you're traveling, but um, if you can achieve optimum health and it's worth it. Is is that a um, particular, you know, cheat strategy of yours or something that listeners can take away or at least I will that like travel with protein packs. Travel with protein packs. Right? Like uh, is there anything that like is your fallback that that has uh that has helped you when you feel maybe malnourished? Yeah. Um definitely traveling with protein and a lot of times if I go different places overseas I just buy a blender there. Like Yeah. Just buy a blender, blend it in the morning in your hotel room, go for it after that. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's easier than traveling with one and trying to figure out like all the different, you know, yeah. I feel electricals. Like it's, I feel like that's good. It's a really nice market for blenders. You can purchase them for like 30 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a pit stop. There's a there's a new pit stop that I've picked up recently where I'll go to a convenience store um, and 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 get Epsom salt and throw it into a bath of a hotel room mm-hmm. and just and take a, a, a salt bath and it really helps with like lactic acid and, and like, that travel where you're in the air to like going to practice and then preparing for a game. Yeah. Um, another thing that was kind of interesting, I was thinking about the protein pack was I was sitting down with a professional wrestler and he was mentioning that he travels with this like combustible cereal container and protein as well. Mm-hmm. And so whenever, and it carries in his bag and whenever he's tired or if he's after a workout and doesn't have access to nutrition, he just like pours a little bit of nutrition and mixes in or uh, pours a little protein and mixes it in with like almond milk and sometimes cereal and eats it. And I guess it's to say that like yeah, it's not all glitz and glamour <laughs> for, for athletes. No, it's not. For the serious athletes, it's a lot of focus. Yeah. 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 And, and so kind of switching over, we were, I was looking through your social media profiles and a lot of the stories you begin to 
a ton of press this first quarter around um, just the, the, the growth of, of your business, and it's really well-deserved. A piece that really stuck with me um, was this Huffington Post video around National Teacher Appreciation Month. Oh, yeah. And it was so well done. Um, but was was unbelievable to feel the connection that you have with your first grade teacher. Um, I can't remember who my first grade teacher oh, no. was. <laughs> you know? And I have, like, honestly... Were you a good student? I was a pretty good student. I would say I enjoy uh, being studious more so now than when I was younger. I don't think I appreciated... Um, you know, the, the history classes and the math classes and stuff like that. I was, I was far more focused on entertainment and sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose that's a product of, of your surroundings, your peers, and, and your, my, my brother in my case, where we went back and forth a lot and always played outside. Uh, but was, was academia always a big part of, of the way that you walked day to day as a young kid? Yeah, absolutely. In our house, we weren't allowed to do bad grades, so yeah, it was big trouble. So yeah, we just didn't do it. But don't you think that's it's there's a you know I would I did well in the classroom. I grew up with learning differences, and so I struggled. But I did well because I I was competitive, and I felt like I I had to do well. But that wasn't good for long term retention with my memory, uh, because I would just like create these studying hacks and pass an exam mm. or do well on an exam. And it wasn't until I got older where I actually wanted to learn. It's that process of like in, interested in this material where you retain it. And that's what I would say I missed it. And to me, it feels like, you know, I want to hear a little bit about how you know, you've, sp- you've spoken about how with, with your father, he often talked with you off the court about entrepreneurialism. And you guys looked at, you know, what it's like, for example, purchasing a foreclosed property, but was there always genuine interest there or was it over time where you felt like, oh, this is... Genuine interest in learning and what have you? I think personally for myself, yeah. I've always enjoyed that process. Uh, and then I think you have to find something you enjoy because if you hate it, then nobody wants to apply themselves to something they absolutely hate. I think um, the exception maybe is Andre Agassi. He said he didn't like tennis so much, but he clearly excelled yeah. so if you're not Andre then you, you probably can't you know do an amazing job if you hate it yeah well Andre and and other um, former American star tennis players that have really helped boost tennis in the states uh, it's a global phenomenon which is different than lacrosse um, but there has been a lot of conversation around McEnroe on the men's game with a with not as much uh, traditional American talent as we've seen since Pete Sanfras and Andre Agassi, as you mentioned. And then, you know, you and your sister have done so much for the game in the States. What, what is the state of the game when you guys are done playing for American players? Because of, um, sports in the States drive so much revenue. Mm. Yeah, for American players, I don't know. That's a hard one. And tennis is a, is a tough sport. It's a tough sport. For entry, it's a tough sport to learn. It's expensive. It's expensive, and you don't get good right away. It's not necessarily like you can just shoot it into a hoop or run fast quickly. It's a learning curve. So I think younger people today have um, a shorter attention span. So tennis still has to be appealed to them in a way that they can get it quickly. So I'm not sure what that answer is on that. Do you think that... If you were to have grown up now, 
under the strategy that your dad had for both you and Serena that it would have been more challenging to get to this level? And I wonder that because it's non-traditional, the way that, that you grew up in, in Compton and you know, kind of like we're self-learners. Um, I look at having spent time training at IMG and looking at tennis and golf in particular, it's such a technical game and it's so difficult to get to the level where you are. Yeah. Like your tennis, like from a phenomenon standpoint is like, become pro is really hard to get into the top 100 is like a near improbability. And if you're a top 10 player, so like the margin of, of error is so thin. Yeah. And I, you know, I've never, I haven't tried a ton of other sports because I spend so much time on tennis. So I, I'm always interested in technically how they work. I always find interesting though, that footwork always seems to cross over. Mm. into different sports and sometimes there's it nuances does. but if you understand how to move then it just crosses over into all sports and I mean footwork in tennis is it's interesting because you're, you have to cover court and you have to anticipate um, and I find tennis players can can adapt to other sports and the movement because uh, it's just uh, it's just Different, although I played volleyball and that was hard because yeah. you, I didn't know how to read the shots. Right. And I was like, ah, I realized that I can't read and anticipate these shots, so yeah. I'm getting killed because right. of that. But outside of that, I was like, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, there, there's so much impact in movement patterns that you guys have, yeah. which I think is actually so impressive. And when you look at longevity, it's it's because because it's it's really taxing on your on your bones and your joints. It's not like swimming, for example, as as a as a non-impact sport. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think there's just, it, it's, I, I, I just, I don't know how you do it. Right. And I don't know how, um, you know, Roger Federer continues to do it. Um, but I suppose that's, it's, it's a combination of, of the physical skills you mentioned, and then more so the mental and the mental has crossed over so well into business. Um, and so I, we talked a little bit before this interview and a question that I that I love to ask, if if I if I'd be allowed to at least, and it's it's feel, feels like an, an intimate question that I ask my friends, um, and because you learn so much about the way that they think and interact, which is on the home screen of your phone, what are the apps that are displayed? Because you find <laughs> what's almost like subconsciously most important to you, and where you go and how you think. So am I looking at my apps? Yeah, you can look at your apps. It's only the the serious stuff. So Which is actually which is great, right? Messages, calendar, photos, camera, clock, maps, notes, WhatsApp. It's the ATP WTA scores. Yeah. <laughs> it's always on there. Mail. Oh, actually Yeah, bands in town. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, American Airlines. Uh some more embarrassing things. <laughs> so, so you, 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 commuting is top of mind, yeah. right? Is that like an airline of choice? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, notes are huge. Do you just use Notepad or do you use All Evernote? All the time. Just note. Actually, I'm kind of transitioning from notes to something else, but I, no. Yeah. Just Notepad. Yeah. What about? Uh, what Actually, sound. I have Soundhound or what do you call it? Shazam? That's pretty important. Shazam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like I want to know that song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And, and what about with your companies that you use or, or that you're going back and forth and how are you managing the file sharing on a cloud? Do you use Dropbox or Google Drive? Yeah, or? actually Dropbox is on the front page too. Yeah. That's important. Um, and I have like 
so many email addresses from the different, right? <laughs> you know, so it's like I'm managing so many email accounts. You got to keep those going. You have like many email aliases personally? Uh, not personally, just one for myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is, is like from from V Star Interiors and Eleven. Yeah, I've got are they all those are all separated, separated because or else yeah. it's too hard to find anything. And and what about social? I didn't hear any social media. It is, but it's, it's, you're, it's you don't spend that much time on it. That's a kind of a full time job it in is. itself. And like when you're busy every day and going all day and trying to find the time to figure out how you're gonna get to where you're going, sometimes that can fall to the wayside a little bit. So it's important though to share, and a lot of people are interested and. And so I'm, I'm actively working on sharing more. You know, I was thinking about you versus me and our social medias. And you have probably 100 times the followers that I do. But I'm in a process of building and sharing, building audience and sharing. My guess is like, you know, being who you are as um, a leader, uh, as, a, as, as an athlete um, on the national and global stage is that your strategy isn't, is probably as much about building an audience as it is about sharing. Is, 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 is there any like cadence that you have across social media? Is there a need to post regularly or is it more like I'm giving my audience access when, it, when I feel like I should? This yeah, is probably that's, more of a question for yeah, me. That's a that's a good <laughs> question. Uh, I think it's it's both, and it depends on what your goals are. And social media has become so important to change so many businesses and the way we live and access and everything. So uh, you do have to take it seriously. Yeah. But um, what's the balance that you're trying to strike as telling your brand uh, who Venus is, and then you know sharing? The stories of of your other businesses, which have their own accounts. Yeah, but it's just, just about being authentic, you, you know, yeah. and and sharing a part of yourself that maybe other people don't see, and that in itself is interesting. Yeah, yeah. And your authenticity is is what led you to take the path on uh, starting your athleisure brand, Eleven, um, and. It's gone through an interesting process, and this is where I really like to kind of roll my sleeves up and understand, because you started originally um, working um, through uh, as kind of like a private label, is that right? And, and, and then you transitioned on and worked with another manufacturer, and then you bought out that manufacturer, and you've seen your sales grow, and there's just been so much that's happened. Um, what was your what What would you say is different from your initial vision for your business and to what it is today, or has it always been the same? Yeah, the initial vision, uh, of course, uh, was to do something that I love, which I love design, and and then it you know it transitioned to really just being a fully operated in house business for Eleven, whereas we handle all the distribution and all the manufacturing and production. And every single thing that it takes to to get the final product to people who are wearing it. So that's uh, not necessarily how I thought it would go in the beginning. 
and <laughs> and here I am. So it's it's been interesting. Interesting, but the best part is that you can control everything, and being able to control it means that the vision comes out exactly as you want it to. Yeah. So I, I was drawing a blank on on who was your who was basically your private labeling through, which was Stephen Barry's, mm-hmm. and when they filed for Chapter Eleven, um, w- what did you? look at doing? What were your options? And were you covered in terms of, um, you know, bankruptcy clauses, et cetera? And did you look at potentially structuring a similar deal with someone else? Or were you like, now's the time to go? And in that making that decision? Well, yeah, bankruptcy is bankruptcy. So that was what it was. But it gave me the opportunity to think about what I want to do with my brand and to end up building a business that didn't really have a license structure, but was really entrepreneurial. And then from there, it got even more entrepreneurial, as entrepreneurial as you can get. Right. So uh, it was definitely a journey, and I'm, I'm happy for it. And it was an opportunity to start, and then, but it wasn't necessarily how it was going to finish. Yeah, I, I think it's, when you say it's as entrepreneurial as you can get, there's, not, there's very few categories that are as challenging as building an apparel brand, especially yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I mean, it's, and, and when I read about that, the first thing that always comes to mind is like capital intensive too, because you're dealing with manufacturing and supply chains and inventory. Um, and so when you made that transition, you know, I guess let's start with like, as, you know, is, is, are you are you raising money or is this self-funded and you're and the business is successful? I know your sales tripled in 2016. And so you're operating on like current cash flow and, and how how do you look at that from that angle as well? Yeah, obviously when you start to grow the business and you have to start looking at different sources. So as I grow in these next couple of years, it's definitely uh, about bringing on equity partners. So those are interesting conversations and you have to think about, well, how much of this business do you know, I want to retain? So that's um, another level, and it's a lot of thought, and it's also realms that I've never traveled to before. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting journey, yeah. and I have to say I'm really looking forward to that because it'll be another level of growth for me personally. And I think also it would be great to pass this information on to athletes who want to expand their brands and whatever they're doing and how to capitalize on that to continue to live your life because an athlete, you stop very early and like there's this whole other life to live yeah and so how do you live that successfully yeah if we look at your uh, your vision for the company long term and i just want to say that it's uh, so impressive that you've been to school for the past decade in fashion and design and now business and part of me feels like that the latter has be is um you know kind of become a part of, of, of your initiative because of uh, if you want to take this brand to the next level in this space, it's going to require more funding and you're taking on no, more partners and that affects your cap table structure in a way. So like, how are you, do you subscribe to, you know, being a smaller shareholder in a massive company or, or a lifestyle business traditionally where you're the largest shareholder and the company does really well? Um, you know, I think it's it depends on the kind of lifestyle you want to lead. If if your goal is to go public, then there's going to be pressures with that, you know, to mm-hmm. shareholders and, and quarterly numbers. And so that's a different kind of pressure than if you're privately owned. So ultimately, it's a, about the lifestyle you want to lead. And that can change. That can change over time, yep. uh, what your goals are. So 
I'm open and I, I like to be open to possibilities and not say this is exactly the way it's going to go because it never happens like that. You, yeah. can, you can try to plan, but you have to be able to adjust on a dime quickly. Yeah. I, I got to imagine that there, obviously you're open to an exit strategy as it sounds. And there's, if, if I'm an operator, a big operator, representative of a big brand like a Nike or an Under Armour or, you know, e even Lulu who are right now are just direct competitors of yours. Um, I would imagine, I, I mean, I would want to court you and, and figure out how, you know, we can either acquire 11 or, or figure out a way to, um, to stop them from growing so fast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you talk a lot about strategic partnerships. So it, is there a clear vision? I know you have a, a, a lot of employees on, on both sides and I imagine their opinion matters to you and... You know, I, I don't know if, if they're a part of your of your cap table as well, but like, how do you look at that as a CEO and, and what does that mean to you for the broader business vision of both companies? Definitely learning and exposure is important and it's important to have you know, members on the team who are obviously better at you in, in their lane. So that's important because everyone should have a lane they should run in it. And also having the opportunity to learn from others and I mean, you're in a great place for this in New York to, you know, be around so much information and right. knowledge and have access to. It's not necessarily like that in in uh, Palm Beach where I live. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it, it's nice to tap into to knowledge and just being around it. You pick up so much stuff, and I enjoy that. It just expands your horizons yeah. and, and all, opens your mind up to how you think about business on a whole and industry. What are your sources for a lot of that inspiration or mentorship? Do you have mentors in business? I, I know you, you read a lot and sometimes you tweet out uh, suggestions for from your audience for books that you should potentially <laughs> yeah. get into. Yeah. Uh, it's endless. And honestly, it's about a lot of it right now is about having the time to tap into those sources mm -hmm. because, yeah, tennis is still the priority. So yeah. that that takes up a lot of time. And then, uh, being able to do my businesses take a lot of time. So then being able to learn and grow is also important, but sometimes takes a backseat. So it's kind of a little bit sad at times, but there'll be, there'll be enough time for it eventually. Yeah. Is there a particular, uh, book or, or, uh, case studies that you're going through in, in school right now that have resonated more than others, or even like email newsletters that you get, or subscribe to regularly that, that are like, it's like a good source of knowledge for you? Yeah. I, um, I don't do so well the newsletters because yeah. then they sit in the inbox and you, when you say, I'm going to read it and then you don't, the day goes by. I think that's everyone though. And I leave it unread and I get anxiety about not reading it. Exactly. Yeah. I understand what you mean. I didn't read it. So I, I, I find that interaction with people is the best way for me. Yeah. Uh, because we get so busy. Sometimes it's hard to, take in all the information and I find that with a lot of business books too they should be shorter hmm. <laughs> and they end up repeating the same things over and over and then hmm. in chapter eight and you're like okay yeah so I would like to have a condensed version of you know maybe the cliff notes of those books and yeah. be like all right here's 50 pages and this is the gist right and so sometimes with with those books I find that I need a shorter version yeah you sound like a really sophisticated marketer too that understands content and attention span. And I know that's part of uh, one of the, the many hats that you wear as an entrepreneur. And 
with with regards to eleven, like I was on your site and I get a pop up about subscribing to your newsletter and getting ten percent off. I was like, wow, that's really great. We're gonna start doing that on my site now. Mm. And uh, I'm sure there are other things that you guys do from a customer acquisition standpoint and going direct. Um, is 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 that one of your core areas of expertise? Expertise is in marketing. I know you you, you run design, um, and you do an tr- amazing job with that, and that feels just as much, you know, um, innate to who you are, that creative ability as your athletic ability on the court, but it's just as much learned as that. Um, marketing is something that you really have to learn. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's changing so quickly, and these days you really have to be relevant and authentic. You can't just not have a, a story that makes any sense. So I always say that if you're if you have uh, relevance and you're authentic, then there's room. But if you don't, then there's not going to be room and you're going to find that really quickly in the marketplace. But I think design and, and marketing and vision definitely go hand in hand. And yeah. Am I necessarily going to be the one doing the market research? No, but am I going to be the one who's overseeing the creative and making sure that it's going the right direction? Absolutely. When when you and I say authentic a lot and, you know, what? how does... How does an athlete, like one of your peers that is looking to grow a, a presence like you, you know, um, kind of interpret what that means? Like, how do I be more authentic? I think you have to be yourself, whatever that is, and yeah. not be not afraid to let that show. Yeah. I think sometimes, too, some athletes can be just quite shy, so no one sees that authentic side or that side that's really interesting and on the field and off the field and now on social media, you have to let that show and just let it all hang out. Yeah. And I think part of what you've done that's really authentic and as, as obviously you've, you've, you've trusted this as, as part of who you are is your activism uh, around wage equality um, and gender equality. And that originally started uh, back in the Wim- Wimbledon as, as you pioneered equal pay um, and now transfers over into your minority ownership stake in the Miami Dolphins as you and your sister both being the first female African-American owners in the NFL to your ownership stake in Elevest, uh, which is an investment uh, group that focuses on um, providing equal and and just rights to women. Uh, You speak often about it. Um, What does that mean to you and, and, and how has that helped you grow as an individual and a person? Yeah, just uh, being able to be well-rounded, I think, helps you to see the world from a place that uh, makes you more interested in participating in things that, that matter and that are relevant. So for me, it's just about growing as a person. And I think I'm at the stage, too, where I've done so much for myself that... I'm definitely interested in in helping other people in whichever way that I can. Yeah. Was was there a big pushback um, during your original letter you wrote to the Times? And like, how much vulnerability does that take? You know, I think honestly, I was very fortunate. It was only positive. Wow. It yeah. was only positive, and I like to think that it made a, a big difference. And there was a lot of support, and that article really helped uh, women's tennis, and in the long run will be just a precursor for women's sports. Yeah. Is there, is there a big um, sports psychology component to what you do? 
or even therapist or life coach that, that you have in your camp that helps you continue to evolve? Or is this something that's just organic and wired inside of you? Yeah, you know, maybe I should do that. <laughs> yeah. I've never uh, actually I do talked to a above. sports psychologist <laughs> or anything. I, you know, I've always been of the philosophy, don't think too much, short and sweet, mm. and just do it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's um I guess that's a Nike look. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm I'm definitely very simplistic in my approach and Yeah. Uh but I I'm also open to other ways so I I feel like maybe I should try other things, you know? Yeah. It's about finding someone you probably trust to because that's very intimate. Yeah. Well, that feel, feels really authentic to me is that you just like go off of your gut. That's yeah. important, and it's important in business too, is to go off of your gut. Yeah. In, in life and in business, yeah. Uh, I think that's one thing. Like, if you don't have that, then maybe you shouldn't be an entrepreneur because you have to trust your gut. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah, the, I was reading an article. Um, it was an email newsletter, actually. I'll, I'll send you the link to it because I think you'll love it. It's this guy Scott Galloway, who's a professor at NYU Stern, and he talks about like the core traits of an entrepreneur, and he talks about risk aggression. Um, and having that risk appetite. And you know, in your space right now, um, e-com has taken over billions of dollars in spending on a monthly basis, going direct to consumer, um, platforms like Amazon. Like, are you, as CEO, like staying at a high level and how are you predicting the way that you're moving this business? I feel like it's a lot of similarities in sports and how we're like, evolving and getting uh, older as athletes, being more cerebral, seeing the court differently, not having to expend as much energy. Like there's probably a good crossover there, but how are you positioning your business right now? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting out there. It's a little bit of the wild, wild west because it is. it's very competitive. Yeah. So it's about finding your niche and, and, and expanding on that. And sometimes it's learning from other businesses, but also at the same time it's creating your own your own niche. So I don't necessarily say that it's going to be only this and that. It's evaluating it every year. Like, okay, this is where the business is moving or this is where trends are moving or, and it's, it's changing so fast. It's kind of wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, best of luck with that. We didn't, we didn't really even talk about V-Star Interiors. <laughs> yeah. I, it's like you have seven employees there and that's a, feels like a B2B business. Um, with, with, with those two, I, how are you, do you uh, designate a certain, a lot of hours to each every week or a percentage of time? Yeah, I don't necessarily try to do a certain percentage of time because yeah. my time is my time. Uh, it's, it's just organic. So whatever it needs and I'm there for it. Yeah. Yeah. As much as, I mean, if I'm out of town, then, then it's by the, by the distance or by the phone and conference calls and that sort of thing. But when I'm in town, it's definitely important to be face to face because that helps to build the team up, honestly. Yeah. And your, and your time is super valuable. And obviously I, I appreciate you sitting here Thank you. with me. I, I know you take some time off traditionally, not now, but usually in Q4 mm -hmm. uh, after the circuit, and and you're known to do some dance lessons. Is that right? Oh yeah, I love dancing. <laughs> yeah. I should have put that in my ideal day. I thought of it after that. Right. <laughs> I adore dancing, so in my yeah. ideal day, I would definitely be dancing. So yeah, Q4 will be a um, little downtime, little dancing. You think that's good? Just release and have fun. Yeah, I love it too. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I would have started a lot sooner. So. 
if, if I were to take a, a guess at the takeaways from this, I would have said, find your passion, defining who you are, be authentic, really stuck with me. Um, hard work still works. Um, lean into vulnerability, be kind, be humble, ask for help is a big one. Um, and remember to live your life without limits. What would you add to that? Or do you think I, I was pretty close? I think you're really close. Okay. I, I would definitely say trust your gut. Trust your gut. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, we'd love to. I'm sure our listeners would too. Wow. Thanks so much, Venus. I appreciate more than you can imagine you taking out time in your busy day, especially during tennis's busy season, to talk with us on this startup podcast about your upbringing as an athlete, your success on the court, and now more recently as an entrepreneur. You guys can check out Venus and follow her on social media. Her Twitter and Instagram handles differ. Twitter, it's at Venus E.S. Williams. And Instagram, it's at Venus Williams. Also, her athleisure business that we spent a decent amount of time talking about, the URL is 11byvenuswilliams.com. Again, she talks and I took away, be authentic, find your authentic voice. And in business, my gut is her work ethic is more in line with a race. And she's racing to the top, outpacing the competition rather than focusing on size and strength. So good on her. Also worth noting, during the news, we just saw that her sister, Serena, took an executive board seat with Silicon Valley Unicorn Survey Monkey. I saw in Serena's Instagram, she thanks Cheryl Sandberg, whose late husband was the CEO of that company. And Cheryl is a wonderful COO at Facebook and a thought leader, overall uh, advocate of feminism and leadership in the workplace. The Williams sisters are killing it. Congratulations to both of them. Venus, thanks again for being on our show. Your father must be very proud of both of you guys. And that's it for this episode, number three of Suiting Up with Paul Rabel. We just launched our website. Thank you, Neil Savage, in-house executive at Rabel Co. for setting up suitinguppodcast.com. Check it out, suitinguppodcast.com. You can see our previous guests and upcoming guests as well every Monday. I ask that you subscribe kindly to our show, as many of you have been doing on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your pods. And then finally, give us a rating and review. This whole podcast thing is new to me, and I found that I need to push that on you guys. So being above board about it, it would be really helpful for us as we continue to maintain and hopefully grow our show and book super talented guests like Venus, Matt Hasselbeck, and Coach Belichick. See you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening.